burst off after reading that law line. I will be arrested for not taking a fucking vaccine. This is not a fucking joke anymore. This is fucking dead serious. I am fucking dead serious. These people don't know who the fuck they're actually playing with. Yeah, in a group they might come and fucking intimidate me and whatnot. But fuck, they do not understand what the fuck just one person like myself is capable of. They do not fucking understand. No fucking vaccine or MRA will ever flow through my fucking blood blood. Never! I will fucking die fucking fighting for my forefathers and my fucking lineage. Fuck these motherfuckers. Jihad, 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 jihad. Welcome, 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 everyone, and uh, happy Friday. Oh, Saturday for me now, but uh, yes, another installment of the Jihad Science Show. And what are we going to be doing today? How can I follow on from uh, pilots? 9-11 pilots that stream was uh that stream was badass and he so today uh it's it's davos week and uh, i figured there's a few things popped up and i figured we'd uh, take a look at the enemy see what they're saying because uh they put their plans right in front of you so if you don't object, they uh, they they carry on. They'll, they'll push right through with it. And uh, so I think uh, I think it's important to. Well, there's a few things I want to look at. And uh, virus deniers are back. And uh, this time, this time they're taking they're taking a pop at uh, Jonathan. So I thought we would uh, take a look at that. Uh, it's pretty funny. So I, I don't know how long I've, I've got sore throat. I've had a sore throat for days. And uh, so I don't have a huge 
huge, huge amount of tabs to go through. I don't think this is going to be a free four-hour stream. Um, but uh, so, yeah, please, please, please forgive me. Uh, so who do we see in the chat? Uh, nice to see uh, Nuclear Quantum. Um, I hope you're well, bro. Happy New Year. And... Uh, yeah, I think about you often, dude. <laughs> I hope you will. Uh, Mark in the chat. And uh, who else do I see? Pyramid. Epi. Church at Epi. And uh, who else? Uh, let's see. DOJ currently meeting to mandate airplane masks again. Really? Uh, well, um, after, uh, after listening to the World Economic Forum, uh, it doesn't surprise me. So what should we do? Um... Yeah, I think I think what I'll do is rather than sort of babble on here, we'll we'll dive into the stream, and of course, um, we will do this. Hope the soundboard is clean, and uh, the reason that you folks are here is that you are trying to fight against uh, all forms of uh, moral. Oh, covert moral bio-enhancement. Oh, it could be over. I remember enhancement is in the eye of the beholder. Let me just sort the uh, position of the chat out. Let me just do that there. And uh, tip of the hat to good doggy in the chat. Nice to see you, bro. And uh, what do we do next uh, after we've done moral bio-enhancement? We, of course... Ah, we have to do this, which is me. Yes, that's right, Dr. Kevin McCann. And uh, I was a, I am a legit scientist. I've got some science to show you today. A small, a small, or maybe uh, quite a big victory because uh, I believe, I believe we've achieved a first. And uh, I'm going to show that off as well. And uh, but if you're interested in finding out who I am and the things that I've been up to during my scientific career, well, I climbed the giddy heights to have in my own laboratory and I had the uh, institutional credit card to go zipping around business class. Um, go you can look on uh you, know, you just google me but uh, i like research gate gizzle metrics uh aggregated there and um we uh, or you can uh, find all the uh all the stuff that made me the scientist i am today but now uh, i find myself part of the uh the rebel alliance trying to fight back what is a uh technocratic rainbow-coloured fascist tyranny stamping on your face forever and as a I've got a I've got a fight to my last breath <laughs> give my kids give my kids a smidgen of the freedom that I grew up uh, but I guess with uh, the internet being all pervasive uh, the chances are slim now of course we have to do the housekeeping folks um McCann, dojo.com please 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 go there bookmark it and uh, on that page you will find you will find all all the griff links the uh the important the important links that allow me to keep doing the science as part of the rebel alliance and um oh, someone 
someone put in a little little icon there in the uh oh that was me <laughs> uh that's that's kind of funny it popped up there i have a different view of the chat than you guys uh let's see who's on it says give people the tools of freedom and they will build a set of facts <laughs> yes <laughs> yes uh such wise words but please folks uh become a patreon uh if you if you can uh, i've been doing this three years trying to reach a hundred patreons just to reach that magic figure uh but uh what kevy really loves is uh if you tip uh if you hit the wtyl.live tip jar um the links are down below if you're watching on rumble uh, let me again put it in the chat there and um i will keep an eye on that and if you um send me a uh, donor with a question i will uh, answer all questions uh you can of course use the uh, why is everything shifted should be down there what's going on with my obs restart i guess but uh yes oh no i'm not on the screen am i yeah that's right it was interview last stream there, there we go uh i'm not afraid to use the weapons of tyranny that they're using against us, against them. Down below is a QR code. If you zap that with your phone, uh, it can take Apple Pay, GPay, uh, credit cards, and um, oh, any any other uh, way that you would. Uh, you can give shekels electronically. Um, I think it will take it. Um, stream fags and gape out if you uh, swing that way. And uh, buy me a coffee dot com uh, works great uh subscribestar.com if you don't want to use patreon and of course cryptocurrency if you wish to part with any of your digital tulips um you can join the discord uh it's fucking awesome and uh register to be notified if you wish to receive an email and down there below if you go to mckay and dojo you can watch the stream uh on there uh, as wtyl.live is down text evading blick uh <laughs> It's off somewhere drinking 40s, I think. But, uh, hey, Carbadoc, good to see you. And, uh, yeah, I think that's it for the Grifflinks. And uh, we'll get straight into current events. Well, it's a couple of days old. But uh, I'm glad there's some normalcy returning to the universe because um, I... <laughs> I was having to reappraise uh, my uh, assessment of uh, one Henry Kissinger because he'd been calling for, uh, <laughs> I would say, uh, both sides to come to the negotiating table. And uh, now, now um, Kissinger in traditional form has, uh, is now wanting Ukraine to join NATO. So... Uh, <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna spend long on this story. Uh, but oh, I can't. Anyway, I've used up my, uh, I've used up my credit. But uh, yes, it uh, doesn't surprise me. And uh, I'm, <laughs> as each day goes by, I'm there cheering on Pappy Putin. Come on, Pappy Putin, give it to him. 
Uh, let's see. Problem with the dojo. An error occurred during connection to cast we talk you listen.com. End of file error. Um, yeah, maybe uh, tax evading Blick is doing something in the background because WTYL is down as well. Um, but uh, watch on Rumble, folks. That's what I say. Watch on Rumble. Rumble is kicking ass. Um. <laughs> I think it's what you meant to say he wants NATO to join Ukraine. Uh, maybe. Maybe. And he's back on script. You're right, Razadine. Uh All right. So that's the uh, that's the current events. That's all I'm going to do on uh, Ukraine for tonight. And um, some good news. And the, uh, the blood work that I did with uh, Dr. Richard Fleming has... Uh, managed to crawl its way into a journal. Um, Pfizer, Moderna and Janssen vaccine inflammatory and prion type effect on erythrocytes when added to human blood. Uh, this is a, um, how would you say, it's still, uh, it's still in the process of being uh, edited, but uh, I do believe it's live uh, if you go to the uh, DOI and uh, yeah kind of uh, that's a victory <laughs> that that uh, money you send via McCann Dojo those links that QR code down there enables us to do stuff like this and you know it's no small thing to get this into uh, it's um, it's hardly the most prestigious of journals but you know what uh fuck those glamour rags they're all corrupt and uh full of, full of nonsense anyway and it's important it's important that there's some public record that's on sub public database that we did this work and uh we were the first to show that there is a uh how should we say a loss of uh oxygenation i guess uh what's the what's the word i'm looking for ah, it's slipping me right now but uh, uh but the heme loses oxygen and uh we started to see sort of clotty like uh behavior and uh, there it is um in print um it's up on rumble and uh, take that ryan cole and uh, you going round the other week Everyone thinking you did that experiment first. No, it was done here in the raccoon bunker with this scope next to me, and uh, we can uh, we can take a little uh, little victory lap with this one. So it's there now, and it can be cited. So um, you need to publish all of it, Kev. Let's publish all the work. Um, well, what else is there to publish? What that I looked at the vaccines and I saw no, uh, saw no graphene oxide. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but yeah, three years in, and uh, <laughs> yeah, after after they've managed to jab everyone, um, they it, it finally got through in a <laughs> in what is it? Hematology International Journal. I don't even find that as an impact factor. Maybe it will now. Uh, Fame and Fun says, I became a Patreon. Thank you, sir. You can have a... Uh, what about this? this okay, what's, uh, I'll do uh, what, What's his face? That is me. Uh, I am a digital scientist. So publish and she... She... 
thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, let's see. It's uh, Jester in the chat. Oh, nice. Uh, haven't seen you in a while, bro. Hope you're well. Uh, just sweet from ours. Uh, salute to you, uh, Arthur. Four twenty daily. O sevens to you as well. Um, so yeah, you know. Look, <laughs> would it be nice to get this into Lancet or uh, maybe? But um, it's there now, and um, we we did that, uh, or you did that. I was I was merely. The tool controlled by uh, your uh, generous largesse. Um, it's a pity the scope work was too slow to catch the squids and self-assembled graphene robots. Well, speaking of graphene robots, um, the slides that I prepared the other day have um, started to make the graphene, uh, the graphene of the cholesterol. Uh, structures. Um, let me do. No, I've got to do it here, right? But um, and my dark uh, field camera is broken, and uh, I'm not very happy because it's a fucking three hundred dollar camera. So I can't show you in dark field. Otherwise, it would look more impressive. But uh, let me do this. Scenes microscope boom there we go folks um all all manner of uh, uh i don't want to do that like that maybe we scroll around you see the uh oddly shaped crystals there's some more lots of bacteria in the way but um there's some better better examples um that's that's what people are looking at and thinking uh it's self-assembling um graphene crystals um there nice and nice and crisp uh Dark field camera, what is this witchcraft? Do I need a special camera to capture dark field? No, no, you don't need a special camera. It's just, it's it's a better quality camera for capturing dark field images than the one I'm using to capture these. But it's uh, it's uh, it has its drawbacks as well. So, um, but anyway, uh, there you go. I was able to make uh, some of those uh, spooky looking uh, crystals so they weren't too fast to get away from the dock how dare you all right uh, let's see we live on a planet where people think the earth is round you're showing me a picture of the moon um no, no flat earth debates here not having it i can't i can't handle it All right, so let's get into the meat and potatoes of this uh, stream. So Klaus, Klaus is worried. That's right, folks. The bad press is getting to him. 
cooperation in the fragmented world. At the beginning of this year, we are confronted with unprecedented and multiple challenges. We need to overcome the most critical fragmentation. And the most critical fragmentation is between those who take a constructive attitude and those who are just bystanders, observers, and even go into the negative, critical, and confrontational attitude. That's right. Talking about you peons. <laughs> he wishes uh, those who are doing the constructive, the, uh, what he means is the totalitarian corporatist takeover of the world. And uh, he's miffed. He's miffed that uh, there are some who would be bystanders and uh, confrontational to their programs. And, um, yeah, you know what? Uh, that's, uh, that's what's called living in a free country, Klaus. We're allowed to be critical. So, right, you can't take it away from us with your AI-driven censorship. Cooperation in the fragmented world. Uh, that, that was it that was that was the clip but it was setting up it's setting up what i wanted to uh get into with the wef uh this stream so let me do this and um i'm going to i'm gonna add this i'm gonna add this because i think uh it does feed into where i want to go and uh we're just gonna go through this thread what is the connection between uh, homos and pedos, the World Economic Forum uh, agenda and uh, agenda 2030? Sorry. And uh, here we can see uh, WEF Partnership for Global Homo uh, Pedo Equality. <laughs> they even get PGLE. Uh, what would that stand for? <laughs> pedos give love everywhere. <laughs> The last three years have seen COVID, Ukraine and climate change take centre change in the media. We were also warned of a manufactured food and energy crisis as we headed into the winter. All the above have the World Economic Forum and Agenda 2030 in common. The latest big news in the media are oh, transgenders and LGBTQ. How on earth could that have anything to do with WEF and Agenda 2030? The answer, I'm afraid, is everything. Let me explain. First came Pride Month in June 2022, according to the BBC website. Um, Pride Month, oh, Pride Month is about acceptance, quality, celebrating the work of homos and pedos, education in uh, homo and pedo history, and raising awareness of issues affecting homos and pedo community. It also calls for people to remember how damaging uh, being critical of uh, homos and uh, their degenerate lifestyle is and uh, pride is all about being proud of who you are no matter who you love and uh, let's move on from there 
Now, that all sounds very admirable, does it? <laughs> I'm not so sure. I didn't vote for that. Homos, get back in the closet. Uh, is that really what homo movement is about? The World Economic Forum has been actively promoting homos uh, since at least 2015 when they published an article called Davos and the LGBT Agenda 2015. Um, there's a link if... Uh, you wish to read some homo propaganda let me just uh, drop it here Bing. and uh yeah carbidoc says donos incoming oh yes that's what i like to hear the uh the kaching of uh cold hard shekels um it it makes it makes me happy and uh oh there's been a been a couple uh, oh, <laughs> I want to say uh, thank you, thank you, thank you to uh, Ellen. Much, much appreciated. Uh, you can have a... Oh, I'm, not, I'm on the wrong screen, aren't I? I'm on the wrong screen. Why don't you tell me? Why don't you tell me? Uh, you had enough? Me? Uh, I am a legit scientist. All published and she, she and uh, Doc. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, I think that's a comma doc you can have because you are. Uh, Tip of the spear. Edge of the and uh, Matt can have a uh, how about a fat, fat Angie? <laughs> right, and um, let's see. Uh, Charles Rixie in the house. Uh, good to see you, bro. Salute to Commander Rixie. Uh, let's see. In 2018, they published another article called What Davos Taught Me About Supporting <laughs> Abusing My Transgender Child. 2019 was when things really started to ramp up globally with the creation of the Partnership for Global uh, Homo Pedo Equality, PGLE. Let's briefly unpack that. All the founding members from Accenture to Scotiabank are WEF members, as is the United Nations. Uh, let's see what we've got here. Oh, the partnership was announced at the World Economic Forum's annual meeting on January 2020, 2019 in Davos, Switzerland. The founding members were leading multinational companies Accenture, Boston Consulting Group, Cisco, Coca-Cola Company, Deloitte, Deutsche Bank, EY, Elderman, Johnson & Johnson, Mastercard, Microsoft, P&G, PepsiCo, PwC, Salesforce and Scotiabank. The Partnership for Global Homo Pedo Equality is an initiative of BSR UN Office, the High Commissioner for Human Rights and the World Economic Forum. 2019 was also the launch of Ireland's National LGBTI Inclusion Strategy. Nice. Uh, take that, Catholic Ireland. Uh, and we know the Great Reset was formally announced by Klaus Schwab and his minions on June 3rd, 2020. He published an article, Now is the Time for the Great Reset, uh, we all know. And uh, his stellar accompanying cast included uh, Prince, now King Charles, 
Cristalina Georgievia, IMF, and Antonio Guterres, Gutierrez, sorry, UN, the launch of the Great Reset. Interestingly, though, on the exact same day, on June 3rd, 2020, an article appeared on the website called Great Reset. Why homo pedo inclusion is the secret to cities post-pandemic success. Mm. Uh, there you go. You can see the date singled out there. Um, isn't it amazing that this article was ready to go on that same date? It couldn't have been pre-planned at all, or could it? Extraordinary to think that they had all their ducks or little kids lined up in a row so early on in the pandemic. The WEF are an organisation of great coincidences. Why in the middle of a pandemic would an article on homos and pedos be deemed so important that it would have to be published on the exact same date, yet they are calling it the secret to cities post-pandemic success? Why is it a secret? The answer is because uh, homo, pedo and gender equality is central to UN Agenda 2030. It's number five on the list of SDG goals. Uh, there it is. Um, it is also central to the Great Reset. You can see from the first image below that I've highlighted the uh, homo, pedo inclusion on one of the spokes. Now, if you're on the website and you were to click on LGBTI inclusion, you could be taken to the second image. Um, <laughs> uh, what's on it? Uh, national legislation, LGBT rights, LGBT work practice, inclusion, economic impact of LGBT exclusion, LGBTI people and civil society, mental health and LGBTI, anti-LGBT discrimination, violence, LGBTI access to healthcare, LGBTI frameworks. Um, let's go on. Where's the bit I wanted to get to? Uh, let's see. Uh, this is a global movement driven by the WEF and UN. So whenever you read an article about trannies and homos and pedos, you know there is an agenda behind it, you think. Like everything the WEF does, they dress up an agenda in a positive light while not, while not revealing the real purpose. They do give clues, though, with articles they wrote in 2022 called why lgbtq presentation should be a priority that's right for business and media and why the road to stakeholder capitalism begins with diverse boards that's right uh, all those uh, all those companies coca-cola needs more fairies all fairies and degenerates voting on uh, stock matters and uh, Savage, this is what I wanted to get to. Savage Reality in his excellent video on BitChute picks apart the real agenda on SDG 5 Gender Equality in 29 video. And um, this is what I wanted to highlight. So we can, uh, where is it? Here. Now, I'm just going to play a few seconds. But listen to the words that they're using. Uh, and we show the regional. Oops.
differences in the prevalence of poverty. Um, and we also throw a spotlight on the kind of measures that governments are taking in the form of legislation, service provisioning, and prevention measures to address this um, global pandemic that affects all countries. So, <laughs> the, the issue around homos, pedos, and trannies is a pandemic. It's a pandemic, folks, and uh, we've got to be very, very careful of the language that they're rolling out against you because that's part of the moral covert bioenhancement that they're wishing to instantiate upon you and predate on your kids. That's right. Um, <laughs> Good doggy says, keep taking those boosters, faggots. <laughs> And uh, tax evading Blick in the chat. What's happened to our website, bro? <laughs> Everything's broken. Uh, anyway, um, I would I would call the uh, the tsunami of uh, global homo a pandemic. Uh, <laughs> not in it's not in the way that they would uh, interpret it, and. I think that we now need to get into uh, some more of the uh, current discussions that have taken place at the World Economic Forum. And uh, we're going to look at... Um, I, I would play this all, but there's not a speed-up option. And it's um, the, the mics are really slow... And we're going to just listen to Tony Blair. And maybe we could listen to Albert Borla as well. Um, but Borla doesn't really say that much that's interesting. But um, Tony Blair does that vapid lickspittle. I can't stand him. But uh, let's, let's have a listen to to Satan himself, ex Prime Minister of the UK, Tony Blair. The chair, very similar to Helen. You're going to have to use the. In your perspectives on uh, um, political focus as well. What are they called? Close captions well, till the, the sound picks up. It picks up in a couple of seconds. Focus, because, I mean, the, the reality is for the political debate in many, many countries now, COVID is in the rear view mirror. I mean, it, it isn't, but believe me, most the people sitting in Downing Street at the moment are not talking about COVID. And um, at the G7 and the G20, I think you won't get the focus you need unless it's clear two things. One, that there is an ongoing challenge and opportunity. And I think that is not just about COVID. It's about the fact that we are going to have a whole slew of new vaccines, injectables, that are going to deal with some of the... Uh, that's an important point there. We're going to have a whole slew of new vaccines and injectables, uh, all based or primarily based on these gene transfection technologies. Um, Baller, not in this meeting, um, is touting his mixed uh, flu and COVID vaccines. So they're looking to get you yearly um and uh, yeah look at those words this is an opportunity the worst diseases in the world 
that give us the opportunity to make big changes in the, in the health of the world. And if you want the politicians to focus, they need to think, look, this is coming down the track soon, because if you tell them about a future pandemic, they'll kind of go, yeah, no, maybe someone else's problem. But you tell them, actually, in the next few years, you're going to have the opportunity to make a big difference to the healthcare of your population, that will focus them. But the second thing they need is to focus on the, on the opportunities to change healthcare that have arisen as a result of our experience of COVID. Because, you know, when it's all said and done, it's, it was still a pretty remarkable operation. And by the way, you know, Seppi did a fantastic job. You guys deserve a lot of congratulation for it. But so I think it's around things like, how do you make sure you get the right scientific cooperation and the cooperation <laughs> between the regulatory authorities so in the future you can clear things much faster? For example, on the continent of Africa, if we had an equivalent to the European Medicines Agency, we had an African med Medicines Agency that allowed you to have one system, one standard, it would hugely change the way that um, vaccines and treatments are <coughs> introduced in Africa. Um, I think that this issue of manufacturing, so a lot of company, countries learned that if they didn't have some recourse to, to manufacturing sovereignty, if you like, um, either directly or indirectly through partnerships with other countries, then they were at a disadvantage. Now, just um, take a second to deconstruct uh, the language there that he's using, which is the presumption that there are going to be more pandemics. There's more coming down the pipeline, right? And they're, they're ready to pull the trigger on billions of dollars of building these new facilities because they do need specialized facilities to make these, uh, these new technologies. And you've got to be, you've got to be asking yourself, why? What's, what's changed? What's changed in the world where, um, we were they not messing around with the the molecular backbones of viruses would we have to worry about these uh, so-called pandemics and i think you know after the last three years it's become pretty clear that these are uh, it's not it's not man-made in the context that they want to push, which is that oh god, it's uh, we're we're encroaching on nature, etc. No, it's uh, it's very much a contrived situation that's being driven in a particular direction, which is to instantiate 21st century Bolshevism on you and your loved ones, and the medical system is one of the conduits through which they'll do it. And um, so you've got to be, again, asking yourself, why, why are they thinking about needing these facilities? Because these facilities would need to be staffed. You've got to, again, it's a huge, huge undertaking. Right? Why, why, why aren't we just uh, done with COVID if it's going off into the rearview mirror, as he was saying at the beginning? Now, again, remember that the front-end discussions of the World Economic Forum are there for public consumption, right? So you've got, you've got to sort of read in between the lines of what they're saying. I think there's a huge impetus now for a national digital infrastructure. Digitization in, in healthcare is, I think, one of the great game changers. You know, we should be helping countries to develop a national digital infrastructure, which they will need with these new vaccines. And <laughs> really? 
Why? What's wrong with the old infrastructure? That worked just fine. <laughs> but no. For these new vaccines, they need a whole new digital infrastructure. And again, that's the digital gulag that they're going to construct around you. It's not that they're going to. They already have. Right? They're just telling you what, you're gonna be, what sheep pen you're going to be put into. And uh, as I say, woe betide. Why betide you should you not comply, should you wish to uh, go travelling, etc., uh, as a sovereign individual, travelling across the land as a free man on the land. And then, you know, finally, it, it, it's, it's also about showing people and showing the political leadership that you can make a positive difference to your healthcare system by adopting these measures because they've got, a, they've got an impact beyond any particular disease and or, or, or pandemic. So I think if you want to keep the... What's that? What's that impact beyond the disease and pandemic? Population control. Population control and uh, data analytics, which he'll, he'll admit to in a few minutes. ...political focus, and I agree it's vital that you do. You've got to show people that this is a continuing issue, right? It's not a future issue, it's here and now. It's got a broad set of implications, and there are a set of solutions that COVID has taught us arising out of the challenges uh, of COVID, to which, if we apply the right political will, we can make our healthcare systems better, not just for pandemic and disease, but more generally for the health of the, the population. If you do that, um, if you do that, they'll think they'll vote in it, and, you know, if there are votes in it, they'll, <laughs> they'll focus. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Minister Moreno, I want to pick up a couple of themes that have already been mentioned, certainly the manufacturing. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll skip the bleak uh, from South Africa. Um, he doesn't um, have much to say. But uh, let's just I remember Baller saying that much of importance, more, more about production and the technicalities in production. But let's have a listen. Maybe we'll find some nuggets. Overcome to be able to deliver vaccines even much more rapidly than we did in 2020. Thank you. First of all, it's a great honor to be part of this panel with two ex-iconic prime ministers and acting minister of finance, you the head of SEP. It's a great honor for me. Um, looking back how we were able to do it, really, I don't know. Uh, it's not only that, uh, uh, and it's not the ability to execute a very technically challenged tasks, but it was also a series of decisions that had to be made that were 50-50, and uh, you had to make all of them right to be able to eventually deliver in eight, eight months. And uh, so we were blessed to be able to do it. Now, there were a lot of challenges that we faced, and there were technical challenges, uh, including the choice of the technology, which was not, uh, it was a technology mRNA that had not delivered any product until that time, building manufacturing capacity for a product that was never manufactured before, just to give you a magnitude of the of the, of the scale we're speaking now. Pfizer, before pandemic, was producing 200 million doses, vaccines every year, for all the vaccines that we have in the world. The first year of the pandemic, we produced 3 billion doses of a vaccine that we never had manufactured before. That's very challenging technical to do. Yeah, it really inspires confidence. And uh, yeah, looking at the data we have, um, I'm not sure you did such a good job. Uh, blood clotting. Blood cells losing their, their colour. 
all the all the garbage we found in it. Then logistical challenges. These vaccines had to be transferred in minus 70 degrees. We have never built in the world a logistical channel to be able to do something like that. And they can go on and on. But if you ask me what was financial challenges, as you know, Pfizer is a very big corporation, but also we never accepted money from, uh, from, from governments. So all of that was part of the daily life that we, we had, all of us at Pfizer. But if you ask me what was the biggest challenge, I think it was the political challenge. I think the vaccines, the COVID, and the ability to deliver or not vaccines, and then after we deliver the ability to use them or not, became severely politicized and became a political statement if you are wearing a mask or not. Became a political statement if you believe we will have a vaccine or not. And after we had the vaccine, it became a political statement if you believe it works or not. And then we went to more extremes if you believe that COVID existed or not. All of these were constantly on our <laughs> Or if viruses are real. And you know, I'm a businessman, I'm a scientist, I'm not a politician. To be, and the same is the same for all of my peers, right? The, 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 the head of Moderna, the head of J&J, the head of AstraZeneca, that they were trying to do the same. And that we found it the most challenging of all the tasks. And that continued after the vaccine. As you know, um, governments, everybody was scared. What's that face? <laughs> Fucking Tony Blair. Look at him. It's like he's uh, gurning on uh, meth. Come back. We're on our way. And you know, I'm a businessman, I'm a scientist, I'm not a politician. To be, and the same is the same for all of my peers, right? The, 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 the head of Moderna, the head of J&J, the head of AstraZeneca, that they were trying to do the same. And that we found it the most challenging of all the tasks. And that continued after the vaccine. As you know, um, <laughs> he is Satan. I've got to say it. Governments, everybody was scared at that time. So what was the result? Everybody tried to protect their own nation. So the protection is how it was manifested in our ability to deliver. Borders were closed. So you can't export vaccine. You can't send it to anybody else other than in, uh, keep it in the U.S. Keep it in India. India closed, really, their borders. Europe was the only continent that were allowing part of the production in European soil to be exported. And, to their, uh, and congratulations to doing that. But still part, right? But at least there was the first six months of the pandemic that everybody was receiving vaccine from their own soil and everybody else from Europe. So that's something that also need to give credit to them. So for me, looking ahead now, uh, how can we make sure that uh, we can uh, be better prepared to do faster uh, in an unknown pandemic that we don't know what will be the nature of it. I think we <laughs> somehow, somehow I'm just not quite buying that it's going to be an unknown pandemic. The next one, color me, call me, call me skeptical on that one. We should analyze what was the success factors in this one. And I think there were so many, but one that stands out was that the world was lucky that there was a thriving life sciences sector that was at its peak of its performance, that was able to strike a phenomenal collaboration during the pandemic with regulatory agencies. That's the secret. The secret that 
there were all these companies in the world that were ready scientifically to address the challenge, and they worked hand-in-hand hand with regulators that were spending sleepless nights to be able to review the progress so that they can authorize the next step. And uh, now we know that they, they weren't reviewing anything at all. They were just rubber stamping stuff as uh, this was um, uh, coordinated from, uh, the, shall we say, the, uh, the offices of the deep state. So that we can able to move. And the second is, if we were able to do it in COVID, why not? We cannot repeat it in Alzheimer's, in cancer, in Parkinson, you know, many other diseases. Those are the two characteristics. So for me, the work should start from here. How can we make sure, one, that we maintain in the world a thriving, scientifically-based life sciences sector with the partnership between private and academia and biotechs? Uh, um, th this is where I would disagree with him. I think we have to radically deconstruct uh, those partnerships. They've they failed spectacularly over the last three years, but here they are. Here they are ginning up for more because they they won. They <laughs> it was it was a spectacular success for them. Us, on the other hand, who were on the receiving end of. Uh, the uh, release of uh, biowarfare agents and uh, the, the the binary component that came from these companies, uh, we we didn't do so well. Um, all the families that have lost loved ones, uh, etc. And the second is, how can we take the lessons of COVID, collaboration between regulators and companies, and apply them to other severe medical needs of humanity? Thank you. So there's the tacit admission that um, what they were doing was uh, breaking the system. Uh, the last stream, if you remember, I showed the article from Science, which basically said that they're going to be doing away with animal testing. You now are the lab monkey. And they think that they've got a platform with which they... Um, they're going to consider it safe with respect to the lipid nanoparticle and they're going to um, be trying to deliver, uh, how should we say, thera therapeutic peptides to reverse conditions. Um, I'm, I remain to be uh, convinced that that's going to be a uh, viable um, pathway. But you can be sure that... <laughs> They'll throw billions of dollars at it just to uh, well, essentially kick the can down the road. Um, maybe maybe they'll pull something out of the hat. Maybe they'll get a uh, new cancer treatment. Who knows? Um, but was it was it worth the uh, the stamping on our rights that these people have done? I'm not sure it. I'm not sure it was because now they've done that, they can just do it again and you know this the premise that we're dealing with warfare next next gen hybrid warfare um it's these people who are conducting it and all their special interest groups as they 
shape the world and kick off events to muddy the waters so that the uh, the lump of proletariat don't uh, don't look up and uh, see who's uh, causing the problems. Albert, let me let me stick with you actually uh, and, and follow up on that question. I mean, Pfizer was unique among all of the companies that delivered vaccines in not taking um, public sector resources to support the R&D, which had to have taken incredible courage on your part, on the part of your senior management, to make those decisions given the unknowns, given the untested technology. Um, but then you described the engagement with regulators. Certainly, Pfizer engaged with governments around procurement. Um, from your <laughs> they lied to uh, regulators with respect to their documents. We're finding that out now perspective which was is unique among all of the fame and fun says does anyone believe what these people say no no uh, uh, look this world economic forum presentation is here for it it's it's here for the public corporate consumption right and it's, look there's a there's a lot of sheep who are just chewing the cud right now and and nodding in agreement with what these people are saying. They don't understand the bigger picture. They don't understand the implications of them saying that they're not, they, they're not required to do preclinical testing on animal models now. They're just rolling it out onto you humans, okay? Screw, screw your sovereign rights. <laughs> And they've, they've waged war against them. The companies that responded to the pandemic, what are, what are going to be the key factors that um, between, in the public-private partnerships that we need to have for the future? What are the areas where we need to focus our efforts to have the right kinds of public and private sector engagement? I spoke already about the regulators. This is a highly regulated, uh, let's say, business, highly regulated effort. Before you do anything, you need to get an approval from regulators. These steps could take five, six months. We saw the phenomenon that uh, Pfizer signed. Yeah, Pyramid is right. This is the part where they allegedly have to tell you what they're going to do. Yeah, they're, they're laying it out for you. And if you if you don't speak up, right, it, it's a tacit agreement to their programs. And you know the the problem is is that. 80% of the population will just go along with it right because they don't they don't have the fundamental understanding of what it means to what it means to be sovereign right to to be sovereign right so that so that you you are allowed to commune with god without interference from uh, any uh, any especially corporate structures um most people most people have not even close <laughs> they're, they're miles away from uh, having that grasp and yeah it's as refuseniks we can, we can see what's going on and you know i i'm of the opinion it's important to understand the nature of the weapons that they're deploying against us um and i'll do my best to try and explain it but um it's here here they are telling you exactly what they're going to do and i'm pretty sure actually yeah we're going to we're going to get uh the 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 full enchilada <laughs>
in just a minute. Artists will work for a week overnight. Clearly the last night, seven o'clock in the morning, sleepless nights, press the button to send something to FDA or to EMA. And then scientists in FDA or EMA will receive the dosage and will spend a week sleepless, no sleep at all, so that they can turn around and send the reply in three or four days. That went magnificently well, very well. Uh, what I felt could have been way better for all was if the restrictions in trade were not imposed. They were imposed by fear, but there was not a single country that they had full sovereignty, as you said it, in the manufacturing. Because although we may were doing in the beginning in Europe or in the US, the components were made all over the world. And they were unique. There were pieces that we had to import from Europe to the US, from UK to Europe, from uh, multiple, from China, from India, from all over the world, that uh, if any of them was closing as a retaliation, you're not allowing me to export vaccine, I'm not allowing you to receive nanoparticles. Then the whole world will be, so I felt that was <coughs> critical. So in the, in the next phase, I think this is something that needs to be addressed. But everybody should remain calm. We should have some rules. Nobody stops anything, because otherwise we are uh, all going to lose. But then we have an orchestrated way to have an equitable way of distributing. Minister Moreno, let me let me pick up on that. Uh, Albert has has talked about the, these trade restrictions and trade. We don't want the bleak. Let's get to uh, Tony Blair. I said there were multiple causes for the inequities of access that we saw. Even after billions of doses of vaccine had been delivered, 12 billion doses in the, in the first year, many countries encountered difficulties in delivery. And would be very interested in your thoughts, of maybe the work of the Institute, on, on how to improve access to medicine so that if we can deliver. And his response here, um, this wasn't a, he knew the question was coming and this is a rehearsed response. And this is, this is them telling you, this is them putting the official stamp on the direction that they're taking. The, uh, the, the information that Mark had teased out about being able to do testing, right? They want testing, testing, testing on as many people as possible. When we had that snippet from uh, Benjamin Netanyahu about, oh, how they uh, they had the medical records in Israel and they're going to line it up with, uh, with the genetics to, uh, well, give advantage to uh, Israeli biotech companies before uh, releasing it to the world. Um, let's, uh, but let's see the rehearsed answer from uh, Tony Blair here. Vaccines in a hundred days and other countermeasures in a hundred days. Oh yeah, and the the other thing that is painfully obvious from this discussion, they're always talking about countermeasures. They're taking this language of um, responses to the, the military language, countermeasures. Countermeasures, countermeasures, countermeasures. And this, this, as we found out through Doc Keck's work, is the way that they get around the, uh, the notion of having to give or, or 
yeah, giving you informed consent. They don't have to give you informed consent when it's an EUA and they're rolling out a countermeasure, right? And I, I'll, I'll put the link. I encourage everyone to just take the time to listen to this. And the use of countermeasures, or, or that vernacular, is pervasive through this um, this talk. And um, that should be ringing alarm bells in your head. How do we then get them to the people that need them? Yeah, I think it's a really important question. And um, so Albert was talking earlier about the, the, the politics of the, the situation. And I think the sort of unforgivable politics and forgivable <coughs> politics, um, the the unforgivable politics is turning a public health issue into a political issue. I mean, I remember at the beginning of the, at the onset of COVID, people saying, well, what do you think <coughs> of the politics of COVID? How serious is this disease? And I was like, well, you asked me about the politics of the disease. I mean, it's a disease. I don't, I don't know. You go and ask someone who knows. <laughs> so what's unforgivable is turning things like whether you wear a face mask or not into a political issue. That is unforgivable and stupid. Right, but there's a forgivable politics, which you see also, by the way, when it comes to Russia and Ukraine and energy prices. If you're a politician and you're facing an election and you've got the ability to vaccinate your people, you're gonna vaccinate your people first, right? So how, the question really is, how do, you, how do you create a situation in which that, that more forgivable political anxiety is dealt with by a plan that allows you now to work on what are the elements you're going to need in order for this to be dealt in, with in the future equitably and properly. And, you know, I, I mean, I always, I love listening to Albert because he's an expert that I can actually understand. <laughs> um, and, you know, the, the thing that he's saying, I think is so important just to, 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 to alight on, which is that you, you, you've got to put the different elements of the players in this that are going to be important in making sure not just that a future pandemic is well handled, but that healthcare systems are de developed properly. And as new treatments come online, then they're made available to more people. <coughs> You've got to get the right people in a partnership together to work out how they create the mechanism so that in the future, it's better than it was in the past. And that is about getting the major pharmaceutical people, <coughs> life science people, working with the regulators, with the governments understanding <coughs> what it is they need to do um, in order to make sure that, that they're not left in a situation where they're scrabbling for vaccine or for equipment that they're going to need, but that there's going to be sufficient provision and that there's going to be the ability <coughs> to manufacture in, in countries in which there's not going to be the same problem. I think there's, a, there's going to be a, a move, I think, probably to set up manufacturing hubs, but in countries maybe that are small population countries, because if you're a manufacturing hub in a large population country, you're gonna to have to look after that population first. Um, and I also think this, this issue to do with the technology and the digital infrastructure, I just want to emphasize how important I think that is. Because in the end, you, 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 you need the data, you need to know who's been vaccinated and who hasn't been, some of the vaccines that will come on down the line will be multiple, there'll be multiple shots. So you've got to have, 
for, for reasons to do with the healthcare more generally, but certainly for uh, a pandemic or for, um, for, for vaccines, you've got to have a proper digital infrastructure. And many countries don't have that. In fact, most countries don't have that. So again, you've got to say, okay, who are the people that can make this happen? How do you get the right partnerships in place? So my, my view is, this is what I'm arguing with the, to, that should happen in the G, G20 particularly, I think, which is, I mean, G7 is an important forum, but the G20 is the broader forum, um, is you, you've got to work out what is it that you want to achieve in order to make sure that any future pandemic is properly handled and what are the partnerships that you're going to create in order to ensure that the answers you get are the right answers? And then you're going to have to have the mechanisms of implementation. And those mechanisms will be partly through the formal institutions that you have, like the WTO, but they'll also be through organisations like, like, like yours, which, are, which I think you know, have many advantages because they don't get landed with the same bureaucracy and, frankly, <coughs> small p politics around them. So I think you know, that's what we need to do. But if you want the politicians to focus on a plan, I promise you it's got to be because they think in the next few years, not in the broad future, it's going to matter to them to have that plan. Let me, let me, let me just make a, inject a comment of my own. You, you, you raised the importance of the, the digital infrastructure. And we saw in countries that had good digital infrastructure, Israel, uh, for example, with, with its ability to assess the efficacy and effectiveness other vaccines, the UK, where the national health system allowed very rapid evaluations of the efficacy of different kinds of approaches, they made disproportionate contributions to our understanding of COVID and to the delivery <coughs> of improved clinical care when we were learning really, really rapidly. Uh, right. One other thing, by the way, is genomic sequencing, I think. Yep. How, do we, how do we establish the right network of that? And how do we make sure that if you are discovering things in a country because they're doing a lot of genomic sequencing, for example, like the South Africans did, you don't end up having that country feel they've got a problem because they've discovered a new variant? Well, that's, that, that's exactly what we saw, of course, was that South Africa was punished for doing the right thing. And when we have to create systems, and hopefully the <coughs> pandemic treaty will, will do this, that will, will prevent mm. that kind of, I, I think, knee-jerk backlash. I, Hard to, hard to avoid. We've got um, maybe maybe just a minute or two. Let me let me ask any anyone on the panel if there were um, thoughts that were stimulated by the comments of your fellow panelists. If you wanted to inject any last uh, thoughts, Helen, you look like you. Well, <laughs> the last thought uh, perhaps would be <coughs> to get some discussion around the, the various possibilities for countermeasures uh, going going forward. And uh, I've put my name to uh, a Lancet comment. Uh, which talks about the, you know, the importance really of, of building on this concept that WHO has. At the WHO, who's uh, signing into place right now, essentially legislation that does away with the sovereignty of countries should they decide to declare another pandemic. And the digital infrastructure that they're talking about, the passports that they've already uh, agreed in the last G20 meeting that you're going to have to have um, going forward, um, it, this is them just laying out for you again, folks. They're telling you what they're going to do. 
begun with the regional mRNA uh, hub. Uh, it could be expanded, obviously, to different, different locations and a wider range of technologies. But I think uh, having a system where uh, scientists around the world's regions, from LMICs uh, to HICs, are able to collaborate and cooperate on, on designing uh, what, what we need for, for the future is, is important. I think there's also governance and financing uh, issues uh, going forward as to how we uh, support the, the development of that and then the equitable rollout. And I think the, the regional manufacturing is just a no-brainer. We need distributed uh, manufacturing for all the reasons that have been, uh, have been raised. And you made in your opening uh, comments, Richard, the point about uh, both the structural issues and the scarcity. I think we've got a chance of overcoming both of those. Great. Thank you. Um, let me just briefly sum up, and then I'll invite uh, Sean Bishon up to make a, a couple of concluding remarks. Um, it's been a great session. We've, we've covered a wide range of topics, from scientific discovery, from risk-taking in industry, uh, to the need for trade agreements, to efforts to... Someone someone's just sent to me uh, this. Um, how can I bring that over? So Bula was saying that... Um, they didn't accept any money from governments. And uh, what's this? Department of the Army, U.S. Army, Contracting Command, New Jersey. Da, 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 da. Uh, subject, Technical Direction Letter for Medical CRBN Defense Consortium, MCDC, Request for Prototype Proposals. Uh, Large-scale vaccine manufacturing demonstration, Pfizer request for technical direction letter, yes, yes, Advanced Technology International, the Army Contracting Command, New Jersey, and supporting the Joint Project Manager, Medical Countermeasure Systems, issued MCDC, RPPP, yes, yes, yes. Uh, the government received and evaluated all proposals submitted and a basis of selection has been executed, selecting Pfizer Inc. as the awardee. The government requests that a firm fixed price project agreement be issued to Pfizer to award this proposal under other transaction agreements to be performed in accordance with the attached government statement of work. Warp speed, 1.95 billion of funding. Uh, contracting command, New Jersey, Picatinny Arsenal, New Jersey. Uh, the total approved cost to the government for this effort is not to exceed 1.9 billion. The breakout of the cost is as follows, 1.9 billion to perform project efforts in the SOW and 97 million for the consortium management firm. CMF administrative costs was approved as a special allocation for Operation Warp Speed. The effort currently has 1.9 billion funding. Um, I don't know if that's specifically to Pfizer. Well, yeah, this is to Pfizer. Yeah. So, uh, Borla lying to the public. <laughs> uh, thank you for that, uh, Open VAET. To expand manufacturing, um, to issues of financing and delivery of healthcare, and how we can link um, what we are trying to do to advance pandemic preparedness with the delivery of healthcare every day, and, and to help politicians see that as an opportunity uh, so that this is something that they can continue to focus on. I Tony, I liked your uh, forgivable and unforgivable politics. I haven't heard that distinction before, but I think it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's very apropos. Um, with that, I want to thank all of you for coming. Let me invite Sham Bishan uh, up. I think
So again, um, notice the language that they're using. Medical countermeasures. It's all it's all the language of uh, bio warfare. And if I'm right, this guy does the same again. But um, what that what this seems like to me is they're trying to continue. Like this this was part of the execution of the plan that was, you know, had event 201 gone like they'd predicted, which was that there's a, a, a zoonotic uh, pathogen that's jumped out of the bat caves and caused uh, all the issues that we saw over the last three years, whereas now the um, <laughs> the evidence uh, points very much to the contrary. And what what they're doing at this sort of official level is again setting narrative, and it's almost it's almost they're ignoring that data and sort of carrying on as if nothing happened, as if everything went to plan. The two hundred one was a was a predictive success. He wants to. Make a few quick remarks. Thank you for our speakers, uh, Right Honorable Prime Minister Clark, Right Honorable Prime Minister uh, Blair, Honorable Prime Minister, uh, Honorable Minister Moreno, and Dr. Borla. Great comments, very useful. Uh, one thing I want to make sure that we emphasize here today is, as Richard also pointed out, this is a sixth year anniversary for CEPI. CEPI was created here in 2017 at the annual meeting right here in Davos. And what a great success it has been. It's been a fantastic success. Richard has done a great job of leading this organization. So big hand to uh, Richard and big hand to Seppi. It has that Dick Cheney sort of snarl. Um. It's a great, we have been talking about public-private partnership. It's a great example of public-private partnership. Uh, Obviously, there is Gavi that was created here several years ago, and both Gavi and CEPI has been so instrumental during this uh, pandemic, during COVID-19 pandemic. Can I just um, say... It's also uh, because of uh, Richard's leadership that 100-day uh, mission that we talked about is now included in G7 health agenda, which is a great achievement. You know, I think we need to get it uh, on, on top of G7. And as you said, uh, and, uh, uh, Prime Minister Blair, well, it Gavi. To help on the pandemic preparedness side. One is, Richard, you already mentioned, and, and so did the Prime Minister, and uh, in terms of the regionalized vaccine manufacturing. So regional vaccine manufacturing, we launched this initiative at the World Economic Forum together with Victor Zhao, President of National Academy of Medicine, and CEPI, uh, about a year ago. And uh, it's coming up with a roadmap, which will be discussed today, actually, at 4 o'clock, I think, Laura, at 3 o'clock, sorry. Uh, so I invite uh, people here, you know, whoever can join, uh, to look at what we have done and then what's the, what's the um, opportunity uh, uh, going forward. And then the second one is, again, uh, Prime Minister Blair, you talked about the pathogen surveillance. Uh, we are working with Africa CDC. We are working with public and private partners to bring that together so that we can all access. <laughs> Just, uh, it was uh, under the, again, the tiny fig leaf of uh, pandemic surveillance that, that 
brought us to this situation. And again, it's like they're just carrying on like the, the public is just hasn't twigged what went on. And um, they're, they're going to just push the, the green agenda. There's all these uh, bugs waiting to leap out of bushes and caves, and uh, they've got to uh, be be ready, as it were. It's it's the same game plan that they had before, and they're just they're just trying to sweep under the carpet any talk of lab origin and uh, the uh, the the language around medical countermeasures, etc., and uh, that uh, that ability to take away your um, the well, your your right to getting well, you 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 want to be able to. I've lost the lost my train of thought. Um. Nah, never mind. <laughs> the guy's bored me to death. Um, he'll come to me in a second. As soon as there is a pathogen that we identify. We can have access to the data. The whole world can, ac can have access to data. We don't repeat the South Africa example. We don't penalize countries for sharing their information, for, for sharing the data. And we come up with medical countermeasures, whether it's vaccines, diagnostics, uh, or treatments. So I think that's something that's very important. And we have launched that initiative. We are working on that. Um, so that's, uh, I think. Uh, yes, I think, I think that's the, uh, the end of this discussion and all we're gonna get from it um i had uh another one about <laughs> looking at the what was it transparent the transparent brain i think they're gonna do it but i'll, I'll save this one for um, maybe i'll do a stream tomorrow on this um what i want to get to is this <laughs> yes bimbo bailey uh Copshite Cowan, there's a there's a whole litany of um, of assholes here, and uh, they're they're going to make a rebuttal to um, Jonathan Cooey, and so I thought we'd uh, have a listen to it and have a bit of a laugh at the um, the, <laughs> the 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 distorted science that they use to uh, maintain this position as uh, useful idiots, as Stalin would call them. Didn't I had such a gay beginning? Sorry. Hey everyone, the purpose of this video is to address a few recent statements made by JJ Cooey. The clips we'll play during this video come from a recent Twitch stream put on by JJ, as well as a recent podcast that JJ appeared in as a guest. According to JJ's LinkedIn, he is a teacher, a biologist, and the founder of GigaOM Biological. 
Given that JJ is frequently promoted by leading voices in the health freedom movement, we felt that it was necessary to respond to JJ's statements regarding the no virus position, his mischaracterization of prominent voices in the no virus camp, and his questioning of the motives of those who are communicating the lack of true scientific validation for virology. This video we put together is also a perfect opportunity to address some common misconceptions for those who are still... I don't know who this is. Uh, does anyone know this guy's name? Uh, link this video, Kev. Uh, I will do. Um... Undecided about the validity of virology or lack thereof. We look forward to hearing from JJ and having further discussions on this issue. Enjoy the video. All right. Yeah, yeah there's uh, <laughs> prolapse, saggy snatch, uh, Christine Massey. And uh, yeah, Mark Bailey looking as gaunt and uh, unhealthy as uh, ever. And uh, <laughs> Andy Kaufman, the, the hair plants look ridiculous. Um, uh, thanks everybody it's Alec Zek I don't know who he is so buddy for joining us I, I think you can see all the panelists that we've amassed today and uh, before we get started um, because what we're going to do is look at some of the uh, comments that a I'm not sure exactly who he is. His name is JJ Cooey, and I believe he's a consultant for CHD, and I believe he has a PhD in some sort of scientific discipline. What a way to start. I think he has a PhD in some kind of scientific discipline. So, uh, so he's, he's more qualified than uh, everyone else on this uh, panel from what I understand. But what I really wanted to preface uh, this event with is this has been, uh, I think for all of us, I'll speak for myself, but I may be... So JQ has been very patient with this bunch. They clearly don't deserve it. Look, um, I, I think Jay has made massive mistake in trying to pander to these people in thinking that there's some common ground. Um, he's... he's made multiple calumnies over the last couple of years thinking that he can speak to these people and um you know it's caused uh, a lot of uh what should we say uh friction as a consequence uh, be able to speak for the rest of us a kind of bizarre and frustrating few years and I've often asked myself, why has this been so frustrating and so difficult to have a conversation that resolves the questions around virology? Because uh, you're so intellectually dishonest and won't look at actual data when it's brought to you, or you refuse any of the uh, offers when you uh, try to make challenges. Like, ah, oh, you pay me the money, I'll go to the lab and I'll do the experiments for you, right? And I know that there's a German lab that's offered the same as well. But you know what? Uh, when it comes to the uh, money uh, and the rubber meat in the road, these fuckers run away. Why has it been so difficult to come to any agreements between, quote, both sides? And I think there's actually a very simple answer to that. And that is when you look at the, um, the central issue, which is what we talk about, which is, is there evidence or proof that these so-called pathogenic viruses actually exist?
And let's let's get something clear. They don't they don't think that there are any pathogens, right? That, that their their viewpoint is that bacteria, virus, fungi are are generated in the body, right, as part of the detox process, right? <laughs> and uh, wait, let me uh, have a dig around now, for something. The interesting thing, and I know we've talked about this a lot, but I'm not sure if people completely appreciate this is that the way to answer that question is extremely clear the way you you should do it is you make a essentially a definition of what you're looking for which we have you know a replication competent protein coat genetic interior that you know replicates in living cells and you go look for that in various quote infected animal plant or human tissue that's the way we look for most things. Now, we all know and we all agree that, and Christine knows this better than anybody because we have hundreds now of, of answers from institutions saying using that simple method, none of these particles have ever been found. And again, it's very clear that nobody disputes that. Uh, the virologists and, and other people... Um. Here's, here's Andrew Kaufman before the uh, hair transplants after he managed to uh, grift um, <laughs> people for 1500 bucks an hour <laughs> to, to, to eat chicken soup and uh, shulajit mumbo. You know, I've never done uh, virus research. You know, I've never done uh, virus research. You know, I've never done uh, virus research. Uh, I think I'm lying about the uh, prices he was charging. There you go. have reasons why that can't why you can't find them like that and so okay so that's that's that so then you go to the next step which is uh, the what they call the viral culture and again to be very clear and i would say there's no disagreement about this with anybody that the virology community since 1954 has said that the way you find a virus, the way you isolate a virus, the way you identify and show that a virus exists is you put a sample on a cell culture, and if there is a cytopathic effect, i.e. CPE, that proves the existence of the virus. Everybody... Uh, no, it's one data point in a series of uh, experiments that you'll do to try to hone in on a uh, particular phenomenon. And uh, this is, again, they're building sort of scientific straw man by trying to say that it's all about a uh, cytopathic effect. And they'll say that there's uh, it's due to um, antibiotics in the cell culture medium, et cetera. And um, it's, it's all, all of those objections are nonsense. And in today's modern age, you can get cultures that are antibiotic free, et cetera. And um, you can still do the same experiments and still get the same effects. Agrees that that is virology's central claim. And that is the foundation of virology and every other claim about antibodies, about sequences, about anything else to do with virology rests on that isolation, they say, because if you haven't isolated, i.e. have a pure sample of the virus, you obviously can't find the secret. Again, straw man. Um, it's about converging lines of evidence um, when you're trying to examine a, a complex phenomenon in biology. 
and uh, the the cytopathic effect is just one one particular evidence thread that you could use, and not not all viruses induce a cytopathic effect. So um, you know, again, we we we're going to see a litany of uh, yeah straw men and uh, vapid excuses and. Um, dunce like understandings of the science you can't show that the antibodies are against it and on and on and on now we're saying that the so-called viral culture is not a scientifically valid procedure because there are no independent variables i.e the presence of a virus and so they never do a sample that they say has the virus and then take the virus out and then see if they get the same cytopathic effect, which is the only way that that experiment would be valid. And so we say that the foundation of virology is not valid. It's not a scientific procedure. And so there, you cannot use that procedure in the way they use it to claim the existence of a virus. Uh, now, <laughs> Just uh, Kaufman there nodding in the corner. Just uh, I'm going to use every opportunity to, uh, to do this. You know, I've never done uh, virus research. I would think, and I think everybody out there would think that the entire argument of the people who are arguing against us would be to say, but Tom and Andy and Mark and Christine and Alec, the viral culture is the gold standard. It is the foundation of virology. It is 100% accurate. No, <laughs> it's not the gold standard. It's not the gold standard. It's one. It's one thread of evidence that you use with other, other tests and procedures um, involved in isolating a uh, a pathogen. And uh, again, strawman, strawman, strawman. We are going to show you that this viral culture is a is a scientifically validated way to prove the existence of a virus. But you know how many times somebody like Dr. Cooey or the others who, quote, try to debunk us or argue with us have ever gone over the papers and the procedures of a viral culture? Never. They, this, this. No, we have. Many times. Uh, please go watch the, uh, the stream I did a few weeks ago with Mary. Um, she does a very good job of uh, laying out the uh, nonsense that these people are spewing. It's Dr. Cooey, as far as I saw his comments, never mentioned the viral culture or tried to validate or explain to the world or to us that the methods that the viral culture use are a scientifically validated way to prove the existence of a virus. And yet that's the whole argument. And, you know, I came up with an analogy because I like to do that. Oh, no. No, not one of Coward's analogies. Does it involve clothes pegs and uh, balls of yarn? Wallpaper <laughs> paste. So that everybody will understand. It's like we're having an argument of, or a discussion or a debate of whether these three dots are in a straight line. And so people look at it and they say, well, it looks straight to me, or my Aunt Bessie said it was straight, or we thought it was straight for 40 years, or we vaporized the paper and we got a bunch of chemicals, and so that proves that this was straight, or, well, 
you could draw a line from the ceiling and it goes through different ways. And everybody would say, why don't you just take a ruler and go like that? And they're not in a straight line. Why? The force laughed at saggy, saggy snatch, Christine Massey. Look at that. Look at that. She's uh, she's full of prolapses everywhere. And uh, who is this Alex Zek? The Why rain, do we have to argue about this? Bell. Just get a ruler and measure it. And if it's straight, it's straight. And if it isn't, it isn't. And so if you want to say that the cell culture, the viral culture is the way to prove the existence of a virus, which everybody agrees on, let's have the entire debate about the viral culture. Because I can tell everybody out there, I don't know if I have any disagreement from any of our other panelists, the viral culture has is not a valid way to show the existence of a virus. The foundation of virology is simply incorrect. And no matter how much you vaporize the paper, it doesn't show whether it's a straight line. So all we're asking is let's talk about the science of a viral culture. If you do that, uh, you'll see it's not a valid. They don't do it. They don't do appropriate controls because they say you can't take the virus out of the sample. So you can't do a mock infection because that's what it means. And yet they say they do. So when you hear him talking, and again, uh, that's that's another um, calumny because, and this is this is what I had uh, <laughs> when I was uh, beating up Bailey when uh, he's, they're trying to say that you take um, the lung fluid from another person who doesn't have the virus and you you put it onto these sterile cells. That's not mock infection, okay. The, the way that you make a mock experiment is you will take uh, artificial fluid that matches the known physiochemical makeup of uh, bronchoalveolar or bronchial fluid, for example. Uh, so, yeah, physiological saline uh, is your control. So this is, again, their understanding of what would constitute a proper control experiment is nonsense. Everything is downstream. Never does he address, here's the reasons why a viral culture proves the existence of a virus, period. You guys are wrong. That never happens. That's why we never get anywhere with these debates. And <laughs> there you go. So that's a little. But again, you don't get anywhere with the debates because you, you have such a limited understanding of the scientific process. And um, there's a very, very distinct form of ideological possession that these people engage in. A little long-winded, but I thought we could put that in context. And if anybody else has anything comment on what I just said, I'd love to hear. Well, Tom, I actually, um, you know, I agree that uh, no one really ever wants to debate this, but I actually got the sense from some others you know, that they kind of concede that the viral culture really doesn't prove it, but they want to point to all this other indirect evidence and say that the totality of it adds up to the proof or, you know, or have the... No, that's, that, that, that's how science is done. Um, you take converging lines of evidence to build a hypothesis that makes and builds a theoretical framework that allows prediction and they don't they don't have any predictive power 
It, all, all they have is a r reflexive denial to any of the methods that are used to try to hone in on a phenomenon. The appeal to authority kind of fallacy where, you know, virologists have been, you know, discovering and studying viruses for, you know, 60 years and they couldn't have just wasted all their efforts. Um, you know, but, but it seems like sometimes that it's, there is no real argument that you can make to show that the viral culture is a proper scientific experiment because, as you pointed out, there's no independent variable. So right there you can kind of toss it aside. You don't even have to say that there's no valid. Um, and what... That bit of word salad that he's throwing out there is when he's saying there's no independent variable. What he's what he's saying is there's no virus, and so that we can just we can just dispense with any of the other lines of uh, argumentation, uh, the the data aggregation, the all these all these scientists from all essentially overlapping disciplines seem to converge on the same phenomenon and and data all the time and in order for them to overturn a paradigm a set of axioms they need to bring data they can't just engage in sophistry i'm sorry doesn't work control uh, because first you have to have the independent variable uh, to begin with which means you actually have to discover a virus in nature because that is the independent variable you can't use an indirect experiment to prove something exists uh, without having the thing in the first place um, so you know that's that's the whole point of it and by arguing about oh you know the cause of uh, of this illness or uh, about a phenomenon that you see in the laboratory or about um, genetic sequences reported in a database all of that really is completely relevant when you haven't started with actually discovering the organism in nature first right <laughs> there, there, there are some viruses which you can you can see under under light microscope conditions they're, they're very large viruses um but according to Kaufman, they can't exist i just um add to um Tom, with regards to viral. Fuck! His accent is so irritating. Let me just uh, hot dog his wife. Wow! Just, just for the. And, yeah. Just for having such a fucking irritating accent. Wow! Whoa. Agreed upon way in which they isolate a quite virus. Uh, and we know that the cell culture is one of the things they've held up since the 1950s is perhaps their uh, quite gold standard. But we should also be careful too because uh, they are incredibly loose within virology when they use the term isolation. And in fact, they, have, they haven't even standardized it. So if you read a well, most virology textbooks, you cannot find it in the glossary. It will not specifically say what it is. And we all know... Sinister looking psycho, yeah. <laughs> Wow! From listening to virologists, and it can mean anything from taking a sample from a person. It can mean the cell culture result. It can mean plaque assays. It can mean simply detecting genetic sequences. So all of these uh, methodologies have been used to declare isolation. And I think the reason this is important, and we'll see in some of the clips we're about to analyze, is that, and I've addressed this criticism of Christine's work before as well. Uh, in, in fact, I dedicated a Daggy Snatch, uh, Christine Massey. And let, let's, let's not forget that her evidence is basically writing foyers to governments.
right? Government departments saying, um, please, please show me an example of the isolated virus that has been grown or, or extracted without culturing, right? <laughs> literally just cutting off any of the, any of the methods that um are available not not any of the methods but i don't know maybe maybe uh would she accept the nanopore sequencing um how about that would that work uh, would she accept that that doesn't require uh, culturing a whole section to it uh, in my essay if you well to biology and people allege that Christine is wording it in some particular semantic trick so that uh, there's no possible way that they could, uh, you know, isolate it. She is. She is. And uh, let's let's see if she would accept the uh, the readout from a nanopore sequence, the whole the whole genome. From nanopore sequencing, would she accept that? And quite a virus. But Christine's work is, is super important because thousands of times around the world, and it's not just SARS-CoV-2. That's no, not super important. You're, you're clutching at straws. You're clutching at straws to try and keep your grip going and uh, to sell books that your uh, stupid wife is plastered all over the front of. Wow! With all sorts of, quote, viruses, they say they've isolated. They actually say in the titles of these papers that they have isolated the virus. Uh, and we know that they haven't. And I think um, that that's what um, Dr. Kui and others are missing, is it is very important the way we actually define what isolation is. So uh, Christine's proved that you can go around the world, hundreds of different institutions, and when you find out what they actually mean by isolation, we can see it doesn't have anything to do with the physical isolation of the particle, and it can mean just about anything they want. And if you haven't isolated it, you cannot study it and find out what it's made of. That's just the rule of nature. Okay, now we're going to pull up some clips from JJ, a monologue that he gave in a video he produced referencing some of Christine's work and also loosely referencing um, some other what he calls virus deniers and uh, discuss some various points in the clips. Now, how is this a gotcha? Well, I'll tell you how, because for the last five or eight or 10 years, it has always been that in order to isolate a virus, you start with a cell culture, you start with something else, or you sequence it, and then you make your best guess cDNA version of it, and you use an infectious clone proxy for it, which is what I'm talking about with regard to the Scooby-Doo. They are trying to make you believe that natural viruses or combinations of natural genes are capable of generating a viral product that can generate a pandemic. And I believe the biology of coronaviruses does not support that idea, but they really want you to believe it does. And actually the only way to weaponize a coronavirus would be to make a large quantity of an RNA infectious clone, which would allow some degree of legitimate uh, PCR positivity, some legitimate sequences. And the other way that you can get legitimate PCR positivity and legitimate sequences is to have SARS-related viruses already in the background for 20 years. That's the most parsimonious explanation in my humble opinion. Yeah, so so Jay, he's talking about um, clones and coronaviruses. He's talking about methodologies that um, can't actually demonstrate the existence of a virus because he's, he's talking about cell culture. He's talking about sequencing something, uh, making a best guess cDNA version of something. And so he's not even discussing methods that could show the existence of a virus, but he's still talking. 
Uh, despite the fact that uh, you make this plasmid, uh, you stick it in your expression system and boomf, outspits, uh, <laughs> outspits viral particles, which has the same properties as uh, those that come from the, uh, how should we say, more, more messy experiments that might come from trying to isolate from a patient, for example. Um, I would I would hazard a guess that Saggy Snatch here um, doesn't even know what he's talking about with respect to uh, talking about viruses, which is confusing. And I I would just love for him to just cite a paper if he's insisting that these exist. Why doesn't he just um, cite one for us? Also. <laughs> Holy fucking shit. Uh, well, you know, can you do a bit of legwork? Um Infectious clones. Where's that? Uh, where's that um, image that I had of timelines? Oh, he talks about um, the possibility of legit PCR, PCR for a virus, and yet we know that even under the best case scenario, even if a virus was shown to exist and, and a PCR test was done in the optimal manner, it would still only give you some evidence of a of a little sequence being present. It wouldn't show you. You wouldn't be able to confirm a a virus and certainly not an infection or disease. So, um, yeah, that's what I wanted to say about that. Distinct, um, I would like to see some evidence for these coronaviruses that he keeps talking about. Andy, go ahead. Yeah, I just want to um, pick up on a quote. Uh, we do have a transcript of these clips, um, so I, I didn't memorize it that quickly. But he said, you know, it has always been that in order to isolate a virus, you start with a cell culture, you start with something else. Now, why would you start with something else besides what you're trying to discover? That, that's just a very strange thing. Why would you start with a cell culture? Why wouldn't you start with the source of the virus in nature? Uh, and then he goes on to say that... So, uh, again, is um, uh, building straw men here. And, uh, but what, what happens when you're making a clone is that you, you get the... Uh, or you culture the virus that you get from a patient you do the sequencing and then you you and there's something called a consensus sequence because the the translation of the genetic material is never a hundred percent and this comes down to the concept of uh the viral swarm and that's something that these people just um it doesn't compute with them that when you sequence it, you make your best guess version of it. Now, why would you have to guess if something is real and in nature? Um, we've shown that we have the sequencing technology to take a known organism and, uh, you know, sequence it in, in its entirety. And, you know, we can talk about uh, the significance of the genetic sequence in a separate discussion. But and there, there is variance across all those all those organisms that we do sequence. And there is a consensus sequence made. And, you know, it's um, perhaps jonathan's uh, fault for using layman's language to say take best guess when what what you're talking about is doing um thousands of reads lining them up and then if there is variation at a particular uh, wobble point that you uh, you decide on on the consensus sequence what would be the most stable uh, formation and again because of the dynamics of the swarm you are always going to have variations in there certainly there's no reason to guess and then he goes on to say further that that you use an infectious clone proxy for it in order to study now if the real thing exists why would you have to use a proxy why couldn't you use the real thing 
um, because it, it's easier to make and have a standard across laboratories with a clone. And a clone allows you to start manipulating it to do gain-of-function type experiments, you know, putting things like furing cleavage sites, um, extra open reading frames, HIV-like inserts, all that type of stuff. In fact, to make an infectious clone proxy requires significant effort and technology, uh, whereas if you already have found this um, organism or particle in nature, uh, then you could simply study it further. You don't need to go to the expense. It's stunning how little they know. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe they do, and they're just being intellectually dishonest here and um, just trying to skirt the issues. Because remember, folks, remember. You know, I've never done uh, virus research. I love this one. So you know, much. I've never done uh, virus research. You know, I've never done uh, virus research. You know, I've never done uh, virus research. And the effort and time to make a synthetic uh, version of it. It just doesn't make sense that you would study something else in order to learn about a different thing. Tom, go ahead. Yeah, and I, I forgot to say this in the beginning, but I, I did uh, I did take the opportunity to ask Dr. Cooey to appear with us on, on this little program, and apparently he declined because I didn't hear from him. And I asked him, uh, because he's talking about coronaviruses and he's talking about infectious clones, but let's focus on coronaviruses. And the issue that he's we're having here is do coronaviruses exist? So I asked for a paper that demonstrated that the, these coronaviruses exist, and then we could look at the methodology. And that is what I was talking about, the frustration part. And what Andy was... Do these people fight with nanobot 5G people? No. No, they don't. And uh, Bailey's document has uh, examples of uh, these uh, these crystalline formations and uh, allusions to the uh, that's graphene that you're looking at. So uh, don't forget that, folks. Ah, wow. <laughs> you had enough? Me? Uh, I am legit. It's all published and she, she got goddamn triggers. Bloody hell. Alright. It's referring to let's first go very systematically. They say that they proved that coronavirus exists because of electron microscope pictures. And I know Mark is a, is a real expert on this and through a. <laughs> no, he's not. Cytopathic effect in a cell culture. And we're saying neither of those actually demonstrate the existence. Um, plus sequencing plus, uh, transfection it was sorry in uh, passage into uh, test animals to see if you can induce the symptoms and uh, recapitulate the uh, the viral particles in target organs don't forget all that thomas please distance of a coronavirus therefore if there's no coronavirus then all this stuff about weaponizing and cloning and all this is based on nothing i have a, I have a quick little uh, aside there, um, just for clarification, <clears throat> on another video, he talked about how his thoughts are that the creation of this RNA infectious clone of SARS-CoV-2 and of other viruses is the more likely culprit for what 
may have um, either accidentally or um, purposefully been released from a lab. And you know, there's uh, that's a good hypothesis. Um, when dealing with lab origin pathogens, they would have been dealing with clones. It's in there. It's in the diffuse document. It's it's the last twenty years of coronavirus research. It's Ralph Barrack's baby. That's that's his idea. That is that an RNA infectious clone is what released. Well, Alec, if we were to make a clone of you, we would have to start with you, right? <laughs> yep. Oh, God. This fucking dude. You know, I've never done uh, virus research. We know you exist, and you're, you're not a clone at present, right? You're the original? I have a belly button, so I'd say so. That's a little joke, but yes. <laughs> yeah. Right? So if, if there are clones of this thing, then where, where's the original so we can see it and compare the clone to the original and see that they're the same? Well, and then to build off of that too, right? That would imply that the clone is what has uh, proliferated amongst the human population. And again, where is the evidence for that clone existing inside the human population? It, the same applies for finding the alleged pathogenic particle inside of a human being or inside of a human being's fluid or tissue. Right, exactly. Like, and I, I asked him to show us a paper proving the existence, demonstrating the existence of this SARS-CoV-2, whatever it is, infectious clone, natural particle, lab created. I asked the same question of everybody who's claiming lab created virus. And again, what, what they won't do is they, they won't take convergent lines of evidence and they won't take the fact that you can then, with those convergent lines of evidence, begin to manipulate them and make, uh, make predictions about how they, how they will behave. Show me the virus. Show me the methodology. And you know what? Um, I don't think that they asked Jay to appear on that, pro on, on that stream. I think Cowan's lying. The paper, which has to be a cell culture, because that's how they say you isolate the virus. And they don't have it. Or if you look at the cell culture, it, they don't have an independent variable. They don't do it with the virus or without, because they say they can't find the virus. So there's no science there. Yeah, the, the important point here is that they'll come up with a bunch of excuses for why they have to use the cell culture to isolate viruses. So setting aside the um discussion on the scientific method which it's very clear in order to begin and and no like technology has progressed to the point now where they can do the nanopore sequencing on samples from uh from someone's lung and then that then they'll get a readout direct readout of the nucleic acid sequences and oh lo and behold it matches the matches all the other data that they've uh, that they've worked on over the years imagine that imagine that science being able to make a prediction like that who would have thought experimentation you need to have your thing you think is the cause the presumed cause the independent variable it has to exist you have to show it it has to be natural observation there can't be any manipulation of the they did ask jc they threatened him gave him the ultimatum that he debate them or they make this video <laughs> okay Jay should have just got in there then and debated them and uh, <laughs> used uh, done the, uh, done the old uh, McCann style and uh, as soon as Bailey came up. The thing you think is the cause existing before you can even proceed with the experiment. But the wow. uh, excuses for why they cannot 
follow or strictly adhere to the scientific method. And again, in terms of logic, those are all reification fallacies. They assign characteristics to viruses. They say that a virus is too weak to isolate or purify directly from the fluids. They say that there's not enough of it present inside the fluids. They're assigning characteristics to something, a reification fallacy, uh, that is absolutely uh, and again, um, all, the, all their objections are squashed with uh, next-gen sequencing, uh, especially the nanopore sequencing. Sorry. Sorry. And until, until they come up with data and not, not just engaging in sophistry, um, they, ca they can be brushed aside. Abstract that has not been proven to actually exist in nature. Can I um, add, um, Alec, just on top of the comments so far, with regard to what Dr. Kui said there as well, uh, along with the problem of the fact that why don't you just um, yeah, get the virus directly and deal with that, but he said that they create uh, infectious cDNA clones of these alleged viruses. Now, Sam and I, together with Tom, we actually addressed this in a recent video. Wait, Sam? We over a wow. We managed to create one of these infectious clones. And the word infectious should not be used in there at all because at no stage did they demonstrate that what they had created in their cell culture brew had any capacity to infect anything or cause disease. Essentially, they were doing the usual tricks of um, proxy techniques of just detecting sequences, which they put in and then detected them again later and claimed that they had something that was replicating and uh, virus-like in nature. So again, it's problematic. And I agree with the others that um, when Dr. Kui is talking about these things, he, he slips in the word coronavirus uh, as though these things have been shown to exist. And all of the investigations that I've done dating back to alleged infectious bronchitis virus, which was the supposed first coronavirus to be isolated back in the 1930s, at no stage did any of these researchers demonstrate that they had a particle that fulfilled the description of a virus. And I think this is, we have mentioned this, and, and I'll say it again, and I think Dr. Cooey's missing this, we point out that the methodology that has been used uh, for over 100 years in virology is not sufficient to make the claims that they've made. And the other problem was that the hypothesis of viruses was it was put forward before they found them. And of course, we know now they can't find them. And since that time, Every, right. every observation they make with Na nanopore sequencing, which explain that one. Sorry, sorry. And like I say, they can t they can take the readout from nanopore sequencing. Like I say, turn them into clones, make a whole bunch of it, and then get and get, <laughs> get vats full of virus. Whether it be uh, a PCR, a genomic sequence. Uh, electron microscopy appearances is now just used to try and fit this model, which has uh, been, you know, proven false over and over again. The other thing, no, it hasn't been proven false. What the, what each one of those methods bring is is a slice of the phenomenon, and and you you stack them up and you say, does it make predictions about how that phenomenon behaves? Can you manipulate that phenomenon on the bench to make it do? essentially predictable things if you add in uh other other epitopes he talks about there is he says the word legitimate sequence and i'm not quite sure what he means by legitimate sequence because again we're not saying that biological material doesn't have uh, various genetic sequences and proteins etc what we're saying the problem is is that they've been attributed to viruses when there's no proof that this is where they've come from so it's a, a provenance issue and we get this argument all the time saying people will say, well, I've looked at GSAID and they've found this virus sequence 14 million times. 
The problem is is that they're using the same technique or similar techniques around the world, and it's the technique that is the problem, not the. And uh, those techniques are evolving, and they 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 keep honing in on the same the same result. Results. I mean, we know that virology generates an inordinate amount of data. It's a huge amount of data. And some people think because there's a lot of data, it means that it must be real. Again, what we're saying is, yes, they have a lot of data, but they've been Who knows, says, hopefully JC has learned an important lesson about the futility of dealing honestly with dishonest grifters who have their living on the line. Yeah, I hope so too. Um, Jay was supremely naive in thinking that he, he, he was, was going to try and bridge to these people when these people literally make hundreds of thousands of dollars per year peddling this nonsense would he be willing to be exposed to a virus in a controlled experiment no i doubt it like will he will he take a big huff of uh amerifrax no i i, I doubt it interpreted it completely incorrectly and it does not support the hypothesis that viruses exist Okay, we're going to move on to this next clip from JJ. What's not possible is that all these people were, were finding infectious RNA and lying about it. That's not possible. I'm sorry to break your bubble, but that's not possible. They could be misinterpreting the data. They could be misinterpreting what they were observing. They could be misunderstanding what was replicating. There's lots of possibilities. But what's not possible is that all this biology can just be dismissed and, and... Who has such a fucking gross color of green on their browser? <laughs> and is not in need of an alternative explanation, Christine. And that's the problem with stopping at freedom of information request responses that say we didn't isolate or purify the virus and then saying, we win. La la la, I can't hear you. Write it down and maybe I'll read it. While her response is, well, I just asked them and they said no, so you have to prove that there are viruses. I don't need to prove anything. There's 40 years of molecular biological data which indicates that RNA can be infectious, can replicate itself, seems to move around. Maybe it's an endogenous signal. Maybe it's an immune response. Maybe it's something else that we haven't characterized yet correctly. But it's not nothing. These sequences that people are finding are not nothing. Can I just jump in there, Alec? Because it actually followed on from <laughs> yes, what I was just yes. saying. Um, yeah, it's yeah. As I as I was pointing out in my previous comment, it's it's not the problem that virology hasn't generated a lot of data. And Dr. Kui's holding up a book, I probably from the 1980s, I think, um, based on the rest of his interview there. And, and yes, I have looked back even further back with regards to quote coronaviruses. Um, now, in the 1980s, that was when they said they first sequenced. Um, again, it was infectious bronchitis virus in quotes that they said was the first coronavirus to have the full genetic sequence. But the problem again is, is not that there wasn't a lot of papers because it is likewise with um, Sam and I did an extensive investigation into the common cold unit, uh, which operated, I believe from 1946 to about 1990. Wow. And they generated a thousand papers, scientific papers, uh, allegedly regarding human, human coronaviruses and rhinoviruses, et cetera. So yeah, we've looked through many, many of these papers. And as I say, by the time they got to the eighties when they were doing more sequencing, they said that, hey, this is the, the genome of these alleged viruses. But I went back and very carefully went through those papers to see what they actually did. And they did you do any experiments? 
That's the critical factor. Did you do any experiments to disprove the work that was being put forward? Again, as Jonathan said, there, there may be issues around uh, interpretation and limitations in the methods, uh, particularly when you're going back 30, 40, 50 years. There's some pivotal papers around 1984 through to 1987 where they claim that they had purified variants and then they said that they sequenced the genetic sequence from these purified variants. But there was nowhere in those papers where they showed that they purified anything. They simply had chick embryo cultures and were introducing foreign material. And on the basis that they were seeing tissue damage in the form of cytopathic effects and plaques, they said that there must be a viral agent present. But they didn't purify anything, and they certainly didn't show that the genetic material was coming from inside any, quote, virus particles. Uh, the other thing, which we pointed out over and over again, is that not once did they do a control experiment to see whether they could find these sequences in other samples or other cultures. So, again, I think, um, yep, we agree with Dr. Cui that there's a huge amount of uh, information, data, et cetera. And he, he even said himself, maybe... The whole thing's been misinterpreted, and I'd say, yes, it has. Uh, there are other explanations for these findings. And, and please, please, give us give us those explanations. And what it always comes down to is um, abiogenesis, right? That the, um, pleomorphic abiogenesis, right? That the body is generating them. Some, somehow the body is making, uh, rearranging its genetic material to spit out the same phenomenon that we can see with respect to different uh, life forms and we see them across different patients and they, they, they have uh, characteristics somehow that overlap. Let me just see if I can find And uh, that's, uh, it's, it's pretty straightforward really. Another important point there too is that <clears throat> what he's implying is that we're, all of us in the so-called no virus camp are saying that all of the virologists, epidemiologists, immunologists, whatever ologists you want to throw it in there are all lying. That's not what we're saying. I don't think any of us are saying that. We're saying exactly what he said is that they're likely misinterpreting it or there's something else at play. We don't think that there's this, and maybe I'm speaking for myself here, feel free to correct me if any one of you disagrees, but I, we don't think that there's this you know, dark occult group that comprises all virologists in the world and all experts in the world that secretly meets and they're all keeping the true information from us. Overwhelmingly, they're just misinterpreting the results of the experiments that they've been... Yet, yet, yet these four bozos, these four bozos, right, who've never done a day's work at the bench... Uh, are, are interpreting this data correctly and all all that work that goes into uh those dod programs right whether <laughs> we're actually dealing with because these these people are useful idiots for those programs in in grabbing people away from looking at and investigating where where our tax dollars are going and how it's being abused against us by uh <laughs> the WEF global homo rainbow fascists been taught yeah and you know with all these admissions that um, Professor Cooley is making he's basically admitting that they haven't used scientific method because if they had then there wouldn't be room for all this misinterpretation so it's it's like on the one hand he's agreeing with us and then at the same time he's upset with us because we're I, I guess he thinks we're misleading people or we're jumping to conclusions um 
So I just find that a little, it's a little confusing again, and it would have been nice if he had agreed to come on and talk to us because then maybe we could have sorted all these things out and perhaps one day in the future he will agree to some sort of a discussion with us. Also, um, he's implying, I might have said this earlier, but um, uh, forgive me if I did already, but he's he's implying that all we have is the freedom of information responses and they're very powerful and they show that they don't have um, an independent variable and so they're not using scientific method. <laughs> these are these these are freedom of information requests that are specifically worded to exclude to exclude the experiments that would be required to get to the answer that they want. Um, but at the same time, there's like this huge other body of work that um, Andy and Tom and Alec and the Baileys and a lot of other people as well have done. There's this vast amount of work, Mike Stone, many others. So um, it's just unfortunate. What work? What experiments? What experiments have you done? What data can you bring to the table? Nothing. Just just an ideology that's used to try and sell books and um, diets and et cetera, et cetera. And look, I'm not, there's, there's nothing wrong with trying to look after your health, but a denial about objective reality just doesn't cut it, particularly in such perilous times. If people are being misled, if they're not that familiar with the you know, virus movement and they're getting this impression from Professor Cooey that um, all we have is the FOIs. Also, I'd mention too that with regard to the FOIs, most of them do focus on the. Oh, God, she just does sound so weak and prolapsed, right? Holy fucking shit. He a steak woman, for fuck's sake. The purification issue, but we have quite a few others on. Um, the issue of the so-called mop controls that are done in some studies. We have um, FYs where we've just asked, do you have any records showing that scientific um, method was applied and SARS-CoV-2 was shown to exist? We have um, FYs asking from different angles. We also have um, emails that some colleagues have done where they write directly to study authors and they ask them questions. For example, there's been a lot of work done asking study authors if they used the type of controls where you... Um, we know we know they never fully control because they don't have purified particles. But did you at least do the same procedures? For example, the sequencing. Did you do it running the same procedure, but with a sample from a healthy person or from someone with another disease? And they they have all said no. So there's just this huge body of work that's been done. And um, so I hope he, Professor Cooley will come to understand that we're not just relying on FOIs, but they are they are powerful on their own. Tom, go ahead. Yeah. The it seems to me the problem is um, we're, we're actually asking the question, is there evidence the virus exists? And what you hear is going off into all kinds of tangents about, well, they misinterpret the data and, and, and they've got 40 years of, of information and it could be a, a, you know an antibody response or something else. But where, what happened to the question, is that in that book, is there the methodology that demonstrates the existence of the virus. And if there is, why didn't you read that section and say, this is how it's scientifically valid and there should be no misinterpretation. And I stand behind that as a scientist because that is the question we're dealing with, not how they misinterpreted it, all this stuff. That's got nothing to do with it. Stick with the question. Is Are the points in a straight line or not? Don't go into what the- No, God. And again, you know, another important thing that uh, I've 
forget to or forgot to mention in this is um, the proteonomics as well. That's a really, really powerful tool that's been developed, which enables us to say, oh, we un we understand what a what a human proteins are, and we can see what are viral proteins. Okay, and we can make we can make predictions. We can work up and down across different scales, right? And again, all of it begins to overlap, and we've we've become so good at the molecular biology, as Jesse J said, we can we can make synthetic clones and start manipulating them and adding in or taking away function. The paper is made of and all the rest. Just stick with the question. Show us in that book. The methodology, how they prove the virus, it's not there. Okay, and now we will play the second to last clip from JJ. And decades of research are built on this proxy relationship between a DNA-produced RNA infectious clone of a coronavirus and the sequences found in the wild. And if he's not going to take the time to explain this subtlety and why that's significant in terms of understanding what we know and not know about viruses and how we can learn from the new sequencing technologies that are out there, then he's not really being... He's talking about things that were out there a long time ago, technologies that have been used for decades on the bench. Okay, there aren't technologies that have been used for decades on the bench in virology that are applicable to these problems that he's trying to address. Because for the last 20 years, virology has been an indirect study of things that we can't really prove are there. Well, I'll just point out that at the very end there, Jay agreed with us on the last 20 years of virology, saying that it's all been based on indirect methods and on things that we can't even show exist. So, again, it's a little confusing because he's... Yeah, so I, th um, I, I would take exception to their edit there. Um <laughs> frustrated with us for throwing away all of virology but he's throwing away the last 20 years um and uh, he goes on quite a bit in the rest of the video he talks about how there's newer technologies and we're not sophisticated enough and we need to address all these new technologies and i would think if we have all these wonderful new technologies that if anything the last 20 years would be the superior part of virology but that's the part that he's throwing away so again it's a little no i don't, I don't think jay was doing that that's a misrepresentation of his position <laughs> a little confusing and I would argue there's no need to go into any complex details. I mean, regarding the sequencing techniques, um, for sure it's interesting to some people and that's fine. But when you realize that they never purify a particle and make sure that their genetic material is coming from that specific particle, instead they have a soup of millions of sequences that they detect in a, in a soup, a very complex soup of material. And then they... Oh, well, biology is complex. Color me. Oh dear, oh dear. Uh, assemble it on a computer. They don't actually sequence something. And then in some cases, the way they do the, the detection of the sequences, they didn't even do it in a reliable manner because sometimes it involves PCR with many cycles. So um, like to me, uh, that tells you everything you need to know right there or just the fact that they never purified tells you everything you need to know. Um, so I would disagree that we need to be super sophisticated and go into all sorts of extra details. Again, it's fine for people who are interested. <laughs> We're, we'll avoid being uh, super sophisticated about going into all the details. Oh, my God, these people are uh, incorrigible. Interested and you have that knowledge, but it's not necessary. And, yeah, that's it. No one else has anything? 
Well, I mean, you know, if, if we want to get into the, the thing about, um, you know, sequencing technology is also, it's just immaterial because whether it's Sanger sequencing, Micropore, Next Generation, they, they all give you a sequence of whatever genetic material that you start with. But that's not the problem. The problem is that, uh, as Mark always points out, you know, we don't know the origin of any of those little genetic fragments that we're sequencing. So whether we know the sequence or not or what technology we use doesn't tell us the answer to that question is where those sequences come from. And if we can't demonstrate that they come from a novel virus, then essentially then we have to do some more work to interpret if they have any meaningful interpretation at all. Yeah, I would add too, I think, um, like Tom suggested before, Dr. Cooney needs to specify which part we've got wrong. And I'm not sure that <laughs> all of it, asshole. That he's aware of the body of work that um, the entire no virus um, group have put together, N not just in the last two or three years, but this is the states back to the 1990s with the birth group, etc., and uh, has really built up momentum, perhaps in this COVID-19 era. But yeah, it's not a it's not a technological issue. Stephen Lank has been really good at this too. He's just pointing out that since the uh, invention of the virus model. It's refuted itself on its own terms so many times that it's amazing that it's still alive. So, I mean, this dates back to experiments with the alleged tobacco mosaic virus. You can see that they never... And uh, like I say, just explain the fact that there are um, gene, gene therapies that are licensed and used in a clinical setting these days. Explain that. Explain how they're doing that. Explain what was in the uh, J&J vaccines. Never established that anything was capable of passing between the plants in the late 1800s, um, right through to, to recently with the technology they're using today. But the the issue is, yeah, like we say, is, is not whether you can detect proteins and detect genetic sequences. That, that's all fine. The issue is what it actually means. What's the relevance? <laughs> So, so they admit that we can find these genetic sequences, we can find the proteins, okay, but then when, we, when we're able to put them into a clone, make an infective clone and spit out virions, right, from an expression system, oh, suddenly, that, suddenly they don't want to buy that. <laughs> Jesus. Um, and showing that it relates to these alleged viruses. I think, you know, the, the biggest um, problems for virology is that it's not even consistent on its own terms. And we've demonstrated this over and over again. As Do you have? Where's the bench work? <laughs> Where's the published data? Right, even I got a publication in today. Where's yours? That they can't demonstrate uh, validity because they don't use the scientific method. And as Andy pointed out before, uh, you need to do control experiments where you have independent variables. And it's it's not just one thing like cell cultures where they're not doing controlled experiments. It's it's in everything. And I mean, some of the stuff that Christine and her colleagues have got um, directly from these researchers is just incredible. Where they basically admit that they don't do controlled experiments. <laughs> and some of them sort of on reflection say there's been a couple of really interesting ones where they've said, well, maybe we should have. Yeah, good point. So, yeah, I mean, the entire thing, I'm not, um, I, I think, again, someone like Dr. Huey has to specify exactly which bit we've got wrong, instead of alleging that we don't have any material or that we're relying completely. You, you don't have any material, you're uh, reliant on a uh, skewed reading and understanding of the data, and you're not up to date with modern techniques. Sorry. 
Sorry, and you, you're unable to make predictions. ...on FOIA, uh, documentation, etc., because that's that's not where things are. The, the worst thing I see, and we see this with um, some of the prominent so-called health freedom people, is that they try and trick their audience into saying that we don't have any material or that um, there's, there's nothing to what we're saying. Now, I mean, I, I wrote an essay that was almost 30,000 words. Have a look at that essay. I think... Uh... Is this it? Yeah, that, that here's his essay. Again, um, point, pointing at uh, cholesterol crystals, um, lots to do with, uh, does he mention 5G? But um, th th that's it. That's That's his work. <laughs> no, uh, no actual bench work. Just a uh, an exercise in sophistry and um, poor poor understanding of the current state of the art. Sorry. Specifically addressing all of these problems with virology, but of all these uh, critics that we've had, the ones I've been in contact with, and I've asked them, "Did you read my paper?" Not one of them has. They they don't even um, pretend that they've read it, and they basically say that they don't need to, and then go. I've read it back to citing all of the virological nonsense that we've um, already debunked. Okay, so now we'll move on to the final clip from JJ. And just to comment on the no virus thing, I mean, um, some some listeners right now are going to get angry with me, but it's fine. I, I get pooped on from all uh, directions, but I just, and, and I, I found the no virus people are the most zealous, zealous, almost cult-like, because you, you don't get it from... Yes, yes, cult-like. And unable to move when new data arrives. Let's like say... Um, the, the nanopore sequencing data destroys their position. Destroys it. Not, not, not to mention the fact that there are all these labs that are involved in manipulating these viruses, which means that we understand the genomes, the proteonomics, to make these manipulations the people who say oh it's a bioweapon or oh, all the different scenarios and but the thing that gets me i can believe that i mean COVID was not a virus and it was all manufactured okay i can go with that but they have further gone and they throw the baby out with the bathwater sort of as you say and they say infectious disease never existed pestilence plague uh contagion doesn't exist when i know from my very well experience you know um infectious disease exists and that's the thing where it gets me where guys i mean you've gone too too far you know any, any thought on, on that yeah I, I think you summarize it perfectly i think it's it is a, and I've been trying to say this on my stream, it is a bit of a trap. And for some reason, um, I don't know if they're, they're, they're part of this or not. I don't know how to really think about it. But some of the level of disingenuousness that exists on that side in particular is extraordinary. Because uh, as I tried to say earlier, although I guess I probably didn't say it very well, but they're very meticulous when it comes to looking at viral papers and pointing out the incongruencies between the control group and the experimental group. But more than a few of these people have pointed to a woman by the name of Veda Austin who takes water from people's bottles and freezes it and then it gives them messages in the form of an image that she can you know show you pictures of and say that water has all this emotional memory <clears throat> these same people who want you to take their scrutiny of virology seriously seem to not apply any scrutiny to some of the other people that they that they co-promote which is so bizarre to me um and so obviously fabricated I, I i don't even know how to say it any other way but but if you 
if you can dedicate a whole hour to giving a meticulous presentation about how coronavirus 2 was never isolated and that they're missing the proper controls, but then pivot almost in a slide to water memory and then not mention that Luc Montagnier was working on water memory in a very specific form with reference to DNA dilutions, but focus exclusively on this, you know, pictures and images of emotions. It seems so, so patently obvious that there's a game happening here. Um, there wasn't any presentation of any scientific evidence to support germ theory. Um, that was uh, mostly just a, an ad hominem kind of attack. And, uh, you know, the, the only thing really that contributes to this discussion is, okay, well, if, if uh, you know, pestilence and the plague really exist, then just point us to the evidence that shows the, uh, you know, agent that, of causation and how that was determined, and we would be happy to, you know, discuss it. Uh, whatever we think about anything else uh, is, you know, just... So, uh, there's, there's uh, Kaufman laying out that they they don't believe in pathogenic bacteria as being external in the environment right we can't modify them we can't right? these are it's it's all internally generated through this uh, abiogenic pleomorphic cycle it's all part of the uh, body's way of dealing with um toxins that's that's their paradigm and um, it's it's a feeble one in today's modern age. Now, a hundred years ago, yeah, maybe you could have uh, you could see that there was an academic debate. But I would and th look, uh, were we under different circumstances? I would I would say yeah, let's let's engage in that debate if if you want, right? But no, we're in we're in this age of biowarfare we've just watched the WEF people telling you that they're setting up the systems to unleash more on you and you you're gonna you're gonna sit with these people and say oh it's it's all uh, it's all a mirage just not relevant to the issue and you know water science uh, which you know i think we've, we've all talked about montagnier's or at least tom and i have talked about montagnier's experiments and others who have uh, done work in that area and many other uh, areas related to water science so it's not a fair representation but it's still completely irrelevant you know to the discussion about if germs cause disease and you know it's, it's a fair discussion about whether you're whether you're holding um the uh the new age new age um health paradigms that you're pushing whether you whether you're holding it to the same scientific scrutiny and that th they're not because they're grifting off it they're making lots of money and there's lots of dupes out there that will just hook into it and buy into it we, we've looked extensively like it's not like we've uh, we've been lazy here um, you know looking at evidence for contagion for you know we know that some uh, so-called germs like bacteria and fungi actually do exist we're not you know denying reality by any uh, stretch of the imagination but you know oh suddenly, suddenly they do exist so some germs exist and fungi exist interesting so where 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 does that where does that boundary stop where, where's the evidence to show us not some anecdotal thing that you observe that you got sick at the same time as, you know, your third cousin, Sally, because that doesn't tell you. No, no, we're, we're looking at molecular biology. We're, look at, we're looking at controlled experiments where you can take the pathogen and put it into experimental animals and induce the same disease process. And and isolate the pathogen again. Tell you uh, anything about uh, contagion or causation of illness, but you know real solid evidence. Tom, go ahead. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess I would say like always, we don't hear any uh, description of methodologies that we could respond to, right? There's no description of the methodology of how either of them knew there were infectious disease. Uh, there's no paper, even though we've asked them for pa paper, describing how they know this thing exists. That question gets completely ignored into this sort of stream of consciousness uh, attack. That's hilarious that they would uh, they would say stream of consciousness when that's all they engage in. On what, our intentions or our character? So where is his description of the methodology that we can respond to? I, I haven't heard it in anything he said. Here's a breakdown of the methodology. Some things he agrees, some things he doesn't, some things he apparently questions our motivations or our intentions. I mean, I don't get it. Yeah, I definitely question your intentions. And I would just say, um, explain explain the studies where they've done aerosol transfection with viral pathogens. Explain those in, in primates and they get the same disease. Please explain those. Yeah, again, um, I think, um, I'm not sure that Dr. Curry on retrospect would actually be proud of that. I mean, he's conflated so many things and um, made some, you know, categorical errors there. I mean, firstly, the interviewer seems astounded that we've claimed that infectious diseases don't exist, but that is what we are claiming. And I think, again, they underestimate the depth of investigation that we've done into this. And I know that you guys have done this, and Sam and I have certainly gone back through the literature, um, right back to... Wait. He's done an essay. <laughs> there it is. I'll put the link. I'll put the link. Um, where can I put the link? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Coke's original papers and got translations of them. And they don't show that microbes are the cause of infection whatsoever. Now, we know that they're associated uh, with various changes in host condition, uh, etc. We're well aware of that biology. But as causative agents, even as we say, microorganisms that have been shown to exist, such as bacteria and fungi, they don't cause disease. So if these guys have evidence that they do, send us the paper and we'll critique it. Because every single paper that we've looked at has methodologies which don't allow them to reach these conclusions. Uh, what, what about just, you know, something something concrete like anthrax <laughs> anthrax bombs <laughs> dropped on sheep <laughs> can, can we agree about something like that do, do they agree that that's a pathogen uh, often once again they're uncontrolled experiments almost universally involving ridiculous exposure routes and all sorts of assumptions i thought um he, he did seem to give us some compliments saying how detailed we are at looking at both and um, this this has been um, Jonathan's error for a long time now in in giving these people any any credence, any breathing space, any any type of uh, legitimacy at all. Especially, especially when we're looking at this. That's that's what it comes down to, okay? Thousands of dollars per hour to speak to someone like Kaufman. You know, I've never done uh, virus research. Virology papers, so that's, that was a good thing. We'll give him that. Um, I'm not sure what he seems to, with Fade Austin's work, I'm not sure why he's confused that, because 
uh, Bader's provided empirical evidence. I don't think there's any question uh, that these images form in the water. So it's it's unclear to me. None of us have, I don't think, come up with uh, or claimed to know the exact explanation as to why the water forms these patterns. Um, I mean, it's it's absolutely wonderful, and we're all astounded by it. But that's different than claiming viruses exist. Um, and yeah, it's it's uh, again, I'm not sure that he'd be proud of what he just said. And in terms of yeah, motivations, um, well, I shouldn't. Uh, I know that I know you guys in this panel really well, and everyone comes with the best motivations, and everyone here has paid a huge price for the positions that we've taken in the last couple of years. But <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think they've paid a huge price whatsoever. That's all. I th I think they've made bank over the last few years, particularly as they would have been signal boosted by these networks that have been engaged in the real dark end of the spectrum of this type of research into these pathogens. They want they want these useful idiots filling up the uh, the internet, right? Because it 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 distracts people from again the the weaponization of this biology, this weaponization of this biology, which is being used against you right now. Um, we encourage the audience to look at the merits of the arguments, not uh, what they think the person thinks about various other issues. So yeah, again, I would just say to Jonathan and hopefully he'll have some discourse with us, but just, just present the evidence that you think you have and we'll critique it. A point that I'd make, like to make on the Veda Austin thing, touching on that one more time, is that I don't think any of us here are claiming or asserting that that is the definitive explanation for the phenomenon of contagion, which I like to call two or more people getting sick in the same space, right? What we're simply putting forth is a possible, one of many possible explanations for this phenomenon. The difference is virologists and proponents of virology are asserting that viruses exist and that they're pathogenic disease causing agents. And then that foundation has been weaponized in various forms and pushed on the entire population of earth that's the difference we're simply falsifying their so-called evidence showing that it doesn't <laughs> to falsify you need to do experiments you need to do experiments sorry and adhere to the scientific method that it doesn't stand up to you know basic logic and then all we can do there is give an explanation even though we're not required to but pragmatically it makes sense to give and you are you are if you want if you want to attack the uh, canon of uh, data, okay, you need to bring data to the argument, uh, to, the, to the discussion, to the table. You, you, you can't just engage in sophistry and denial. That's not how science works. This isn't, this isn't uh, a, <laughs> a, a philosophy class. An explanation or various explanations for what causes people to become ill and exhibit symptoms of disease. And I think um, I think what triggered that comment from Jay, it was my guess is it was the incredible presentation that Alec did to Doctors for COVID Ethics um, not that long ago, and he he did such a great job and he addressed all the yeah but questions that tend to come up and he handled all the questions even some that were pretty ridiculous he handled it all with a great calm and um, composure and and the thing about Veda's work came up in, in that context. And just like Alex was saying just now, it was just put, mentioned as a potential mechanism by which people might be affecting each other. He wasn't claiming, he wasn't making, um, you know, definite claims about anything. So it's perfect, completely different. Like Alex just said, that, that, you know, we're told the world's upside down over an alleged virus. So of course we spend a lot of time going through that very carefully. And I, I encourage people to find Alex's um, presentation because he did such a, a really great job there. All right. 
I think we're good. <laughs> I think so. Uh, yeah. Fuck these gaffers! All right. Um, I'm about to wrap it up. I might be doing a stream with Ryan in about an hour. He's hosting some other stream and it maybe i'll be on there as a guest so um i'm not sure uh if i am i'll put out a word in the discord uh, i don't think i'll have a chance to whip up another email etc but um again if i was uh well we can take um some uh joy today in getting out some some science <laughs> This is this is what you do, Bailey, Kaufman, Cowan. Do fucking experiments. And the thing is, they've got money to do it. <laughs> so they say. Um, and uh, yeah, we we managed to do it on a uh, on a shoestring, and still and still come up with um, important and uh, well changing data. Um, it's, it's a shame that uh, we couldn't get this out um, a year and a half ago. Um, it's a shame that people have been, um, how should we say, exposed exposed to the other half of the binary weapon system again and again and again. And um, you know, we this this could have been a way of mitigating that. Uh, all right, so post on Twitter if you cast, please. Yeah, I will do. I will do. I'll try and do that. Um, in the meantime, uh, yeah, just reminder everyone, um, support a good doc. Um, I know times are hard. It's especially hard uh, for uh, if you're doing what I'm doing. <laughs> just shake, sh trying, trying to do, trying to do honest um, science, not rip people off for thousands of dollars an hour and uh, filling their heads full of bullshit. Um, please, uh, please consider giving some support. Um, it, it does go a long way. And with that, I um, will say, uh, well, perhaps I'll, I'll speak to you in a few minutes. In an hour or so, um, I've got to I've got to check my messages and stuff. So, uh, take care, guys. God bless, and I will see you in the next one. Bro, you don't know how angry I am. You do, I'm like I was just leaving for fucking work. You do not understand how fucking pissed off after reading that little line. I will be arrested for not taking a fucking vaccine. Fuck these cafes. I will fucking kill each fucking kappa, I swear! <laughs> this is not a fucking joke anymore! This is fucking dead serious! I am fucking dead serious! These people don't know who the fuck they actually say. Fuck these kappas! No fucking vaccine or MRA or ever throw through my fucking blood, blood! Never! No! I will fucking die! Fucking fighting for my fucking bees and my fucking forefathers and my fucking lily! Fuck these motherfuckers! All that fire. I like this guy. Send 10.45,000 to turn this. Let up! 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 Let up